Turning to Genesis chapter 17. So when I was getting ready this morning, I picked out my clothes and Tiff said, so apparently you're dressing down today. And I said, no, there's a point, there's a purpose. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm wearing my ETSU football jersey, which is what I wear every week to church, obviously. I'm always, I, I'm known as the guy who wears football jerseys, except not. Um, but, but, I, but why do we wear things like this? Why do we wear, why do we wear sports teams jerseys? Or why do, why, do, why do we make such a point when I'm making a video at ETSU and we're getting ready to, to highlight a new student on the, on the website? Why is it that we say, uh, you can wear whatever you want, just make sure it's, it's not orange. But we prefer blue and gold. Right. Why, do we, why do we say that? Why is it that we, why is it that we got into this, this tradition within the church that we always, we always dress a certain way? We wear this suit and with this tie and these shoes. We do our hair this certain way that makes us look like a lawyer so that we can go to church. Why, why do we do that? Because we think that, that the, 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 the labels we put on ourselves, the logos, the, the colors that we wear help to demonstrate our affiliation with a particular group or a particular theme, right? The, the representative images of who we identify as. If you wear blue and gold, you're saying, I'm a buccaneer. There we go. If you, if you wear orange, you're saying, I identify with Satan. No, I'm just kidding. All those orange teams are bad. Just pick your orange team. Right? right. But, but we, 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 we wear these colors to say, this is who I am. This is who I, who I am for. This is who it is that I celebrate. This is who it is that I want you to care about the way that I care about them. Right? It's a, it's a physical sign to reflect our allegiance. And up to this point, it, in, in Abraham's life, sorry, Abram's life, Everything that God has promised, he said, there's nothing that you are required to do. I'm going to accomplish this through you. I'm going to accomplish this because of my power, because of who I am. I'm going to see that this thing happens. I'm going to complete the promise that I made. It's on me. It's completely me. It's only ever me. I will take care of this. But this morning, we're going to get a little bit of a shift in the way that God's going to interact with Abram. And he's going to do that through, in a sense, giving him a team jersey. In a sense. In a sense. All right, Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. 
I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised." so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God comes to Abram. And, and, and I love that God continually is the one who is initiating these interactions with him. God came to Abraham and he says, which, by the way, I'm just going to say this now. I'm so thankful that we finally got to the part where God changes his name so I can call him Abraham now. Because it is so hard to, to continue to call him Abram over and over and over again. Anywho, that doesn't matter. That's not, that's not what we're talking about yet. Uh, but, but God initiates this conversation with Abraham. He comes to him and says, I'm going to kind of, again, double down on this covenant. I'm going to remind you of this covenant, right? I'm going to remind you of this thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to go a little bit further, and I'm going to talk about what your offspring are going to be like. It's not just that I'm going to give you lots and lots of, of family to follow, but these family are going to be important. I'm going to give them all this land, and there's going to be kings that come from you, right? He's, he's talking about these amazing, wonderful things that God is going to accomplish through Abraham. All of this. But look at how he starts. He, he introduces himself as, I am God Almighty. He calls himself God Almighty. That's the Hebrew word El Shaddai. That's the name that, that, that Amy Grant sang for so many years, right? If you ever listen to 88.3, I'm sure you've heard it. Get stuck in your head. But El Shaddai emphasizes the power of God, right? This thing that we keep coming back to is this idea that God is the one who's going to accomplish everything that he promises. And he gives himself this name, El Shaddai, saying, I am the one who is powerful enough to do anything that I say. I'm not, I'm not this weak God who's unable to do the things that I say. I'm not sitting back dependent on you to make the right decisions along the way. No, I am the God who is almighty. I am the God who is powerful. I am the one who is able to accomplish this. And God continues to remind Abraham of this point, and us as well. Because we can so easily lose sight of the idea that God is this powerful God who's able to accomplish all these amazing and wonderful and, and impossible-sounding things. There, there, there's hopelessness when we look at if we were trying to fix our current situation, but God continues to say, no, 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 I am the God of power, great power, and I am the one who's able to accomplish whatever it is that seems overwhelming, whatever it is that seems impossible. I am the one who can take you and make you into the father of a great nation through which kings come up 
and, and, and land has had and, and all of this amazing blessing that I'm going to put on you and I'm going to be your kids, God. And he's saying, I'm not just faithful to you, I'm faithful to all of your generations. This is an amazing thought. And God, and God always preempts with that. Like, I am the Lord Almighty. Don't forget who it is that you're talking to. Don't forget who it is that you're dealing with. And I think that's worth us remembering. Don't forget who it is that we say we come here to worship, who it is that we pray to, who it is that we're challenged by. It's not a God who is weak and unable to accomplish the things that he says. It is a powerful God who gets what he wants, who gets what he knows will bring him the most glory. And everything that he promises, he completes. But in this extended version of the covenant, it carries a little bit more of what seems like a conditional statement, right? He says, walk with me and be blameless that I may continue in this covenant with you. Now, we've, conti- we, we've, we've constantly been saying God's the one who's going to accomplish this covenant. God's the one who's going to complete what he's promising. But in this moment, it seems as though he's saying, I will only do, it, it, can, it can seem like he's saying, I'll only do this if you do the right thing. And I don't think that's the point that God's trying to get at. But he is saying, as a part of this covenant, as a part of this promise, I want that you would walk with me, that you would believe me, that you would follow me. Right? I want you to do the things that I am calling you to do. I want you, in a sense, part of this covenant is that we should be close to God. We should be obeying and believing God. We should be pursuing Him. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just hear that he's going to accomplish this thing and then walk away. Right? We, should, we shouldn't ignore that, that, that within that we should know who he is and what it is that he's called us to do and we shouldn't continually be seeking his will and trying and, and, and hoping to live a life that is glorifying to him and close to the standards that he set. Even though we know, we know the law is, is impossible for us to maintain on our own. But walk and be blameless. He's calling Abraham to be close to him and to be made clean. It's not that he's saying, I'm going to make this promise. Now I'm going to step back. I don't really care to have any interaction with you, and I'm just going to make it happen eventually. You just wait. No, he's saying, we're going to do this, and I'm going to be here with you, and I want you to be here with me. We've said this, we've said this on several different occasions, that God isn't a God who created everything and then went away. He's not a God who is detached from his creation. He's a God who continually wants to maintain a relationship with his people, with his creation. He is intimately involved in the life of his creation. So so don't feel like, like you've been forgotten or that he doesn't see you in your current state. He says, I want to walk there with you. I love that word, with me. Walk before me. Walk with me. Let's be together as we do this, as I accomplish this, I'm not leaving you and you're going to hope that you get everything that I said right. No, I'm not leaving. I'm here. We need to not lose sight that God wanted Abram, Abraham to be close to him. He wanted him to be close to him and he wanted him to be made clean. God said, I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to take away your sin. The whole point of this whole thing, this whole promise, this whole this whole direction that we're going, this whole covenant is meant for me to be the Savior of you, to, to, to fix the sin problem that got broken so many years ago back in the garden, right? This, this is the ultimate goal, is that you would be made clean. And within this, yes, the promise is I'm going to make you a great nation. 
But ultimately, the promise continues to be, I'm going to make you a great nation so that I can make you clean. I can, I can remove the, 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 the divide between us that sin has caused. And I can cause us to be together again. And so he says, and, and Abraham falls down on his face, and God says, not only am I still going to accomplish these things that I'm going to promise you, but I'm going to give you a new name. And I think that that is important. Like, it's easy to overlook just how meaningful God giving Abraham a new name in this moment is. Uh, for me, I already said, like, I love it because it means that I can finally start calling him Abraham in sermons again, which I keep accidentally doing. But even more, when God covenants with someone, when God covenants with a people, it's not just that he says, I'm going to do something. He gives us a whole new identity. We're no longer who we were. Before, Abram, his name essentially meant, you're a father. But Abraham means, you're a father of great multitudes. Like you've been, you've been called to something much greater. I'm going to do something more amazing through you in this time now. And so, and so when, he, when God calls us, when God covenants with us, His covenants give us a new identity. Think about that in the context of your salvation. If you have been saved, if your sin has been taken away, no longer are you a slave to sin, trapped in sin, with no hope, no way of ever escaping. Now you are a child, a son or daughter, adopted into the family of God, given new hope, new life new direction, new everything. You are a new creation, a new person. You have a new identity. Essentially, you have a new name. And that's why we can't just pause and say, oh, he said, oh, you're going to have lots of kids, so now I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means you're going to have lots of kids. No, he's saying, with me, I am making you into something new and completely different. And that's true of us too. Those of us who have been saved, that's that is true of us. We have been given a new life, new identity. We are no longer trapped in the sin that we were in before. He goes from just being a father figure to the father of a great multitude. And then he talks about, I'm not just going to bless you, but I'm going to bless that great multitude. He's, his, his promise endures forever. His covenant does not stop. There's no point where he says, I'm going I'm to covenant with you. I'm going to give you this new identity and then I'm going to be done whenever you're dead. He says, this promise has the intent of lasting forever and affecting creation forever. We're still feeling the effects of God's covenant with Abram, Abraham today. We're still in this. So God's covenant gives us a new identity. That's point number one. Point number two. God gives us a physical way to demonstrate His covenant. And through that, and in this instance, He does that through circumcision. We're not going to talk at great length about circumcision because it makes me very uncomfortable. Not in like a conceptual way, just like, I, yeah, that motion's not helpful. Nick just made like a, for those listening on the podcast, Nick just made like a cutting motion with his hand. And now his face is turning red. But let's talk a little bit about what circumcision has been throughout the history of the church. 
Uh, let's just take a quick little survey of this. Because in this moment, God institutes circumcision. He says, this is going to be a sign of the covenant. All the males are going to be circumcised. And he says it about a hundred times in that paragraph. You're going to be circumcised. Oh, and you're going to circumcise them. And when it's been eight days, they're going to be circumcised and make sure that they're circumcised. God means this. He says, if they are not circumcised, this is outside of my covenant. And we're going to talk about the significance further on down. But, but just to give you a brief history, after Christ came, circumcision became a really big hot-button debate topic within the church. Whether or not we needed to be circumcised still or whether or not circumcision didn't matter because the gospel was going out to people outside of the nation of Israel. And, and Paul fought about this, and, and, and Peter fought about this, and, and lots of people were debating, how are we supposed to deal with this? Like, and, and we're going to read some of that in just a second. Um, but, but this has continued to be an issue throughout the history of the church. And a lot of that being because we as believers have often looked for some way to demonstrate not just that we are we are saved, or not just that we are in the church, but we want to, to demonstrate that we are raising our kids within the same tradition that we have been brought up with. And that's why different, different ways have been kind of practiced throughout the history of the church. I mean, we would call them baby dedications at this point, but this was essentially the baby dedication of the day. Right? Circumcision was the baby dedication of the day. And, and there are still uh, traditions within the church now where babies are baptized at certain points in their infancy, so that as a, as a demonstration of we are going to raise our child within this Christian tradition. Now, I'm not wanting to go off into a long tangent about infant baptism, but, but here's the thing I will say. We here at CRC practice and believe in believer's baptism, in that baptism is a declaration of my faith in God that is meant to be following my salvation, as a demonstration before the church that I have been saved. We believe that God calls us to that. Every time we see salvations in the Bible, it's they got saved and then they got baptized. They got saved and then they asked where the water was so they could go get baptized. They were ready to demonstrate that belief. I don't believe it's sinful to pour water on a baby as a demonstration of, as their parents, I'm intending to raise them up within the church and within the Christian tradition, I want to teach them these things. I do not believe that carries any sort of salvation assistance. I don't believe that that excuses someone from later after, after being saved also following in believer's baptism. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure that I'm kind of clarifying where I am on all this. Because, because what, we're about to, what we're about to discover as we study this is that circumcision, baptism, all of these things carry with them kind of the same application. They're, they're not too different from wearing a team jersey. They're not too different from just identifying with one particular group. And, and that was all that was ever really meant for them to be. Uh, there, are, there are traditions even now that it, within the church, people that... that we would get along with that still are teaching that you need baptism in addition to declaration of faith in Christ to be saved. We don't believe that. We don't believe that to be true. We think you're adding to. Remember, what's the one thing we have continually been saying about this covenant with God? 
that it's not on us to accomplish it. God is the one who is accomplishing it. He continues to say, I'm the one who's going to be, this is on me. I'm the only one who is God Almighty, El Shaddai, capable of accomplishing this thing. But in this moment, God's saying, I want you to identify who the people are that are being raised in your family as a part of this. Who it is that are, that are the recipients of this covenant. And you got to remember, this is before Christ. So this is before, this is before Christ. This is before the law. This is before any of that. So he, basically what God's saying is, I want you to have some sort of physical demonstration. I, you know, we, we talked about this last week with Sarai and Hagar, right? That, that God had promised this, but there wasn't anything tangible for them to see in a way that he was working, right? And so she kind of took matters into her own hands and said, I'm going to do something about this. I want to see some movement here. I want to see something happening. And now God is essentially saying, I'm going to give you something that you can do that will demonstrate that you are continuing to believe that I'm going to accomplish these things. Does getting circumcised same as getting baptized, change whether or not God's going to do what it is that he says he's going to do. You are allowed to audibly respond. No. It does not change, because God is going to do what God wants to do. God is giving them a way to identify as being a part of this covenant. And at this point, those who are part of this covenant are Abraham and his family. The beauty of it for us is that, that, that later on, after Christ, that was opened up to also include us. We also become children of Abraham. But let's, let's look at how... So we talked about this, this struggle that the church has had with circumcision. And, and what are we supposed to do? Jesus has come. Are we still supposed to get circumcised? We're, we're taking the gospel now to the Gentile nations. They've never gotten circumcised. Are we supposed to circumcise them? What are we supposed to do with this sign of the covenant? Romans chapter 2. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to turn there. So you have a second if you would like to follow along. Romans chapter 2. We're going to read a bunch of different instances where Paul kind of teaches about how to deal with the idea of circumcision. So Romans chapter 2. We're going to read verse 25. He says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So what Paul is starting to say here is, you've missed the point of circumcision if you're thinking that your obedience and being circumcised is what is saving you. Because, because you, you were given circumcision, but he's reminding them, you were also given the law. So if you keep the law, and your, circum, your circumcision doesn't matter because you kept the law. So if somebody remains uncircumcised but, but follows the law perfectly to a T, they're, they're more saved and circumcised than someone who says, oh, I'm good, I got circumcised, I'm good to go. 
God loves me and I'm, I'm set. He's saying, no, 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 that doesn't matter. He's saying, he's saying what matters is, is the result of your heart, what's in your heart. And, he's, and, and I think it's interesting that he's talking about this idea of obeying the law, but, but I don't know if any of you have ever tried to keep the law. It's impossible for us to keep the law because, because we're, we're stained with sin and we're, and we're, we're drawn toward sin. We are, we are, we are depraved. We're, we're completely separate from God and unable to keep the law on our own. But he says, circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Right? It's the Spirit who is at work in us, saving us. It is the Spirit who is at work in us, making us. Remember, what is it that God said? If you walk with me and are blameless... He's saying it's the Spirit who makes us that way. It's the Spirit who affects our hearts in such a way that causes us to desire to walk with God and be blameless and follow the law. Ultimately, the physical sign means nothing if our heart is not right. You have to have your heart in the right place. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll keep going with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 18. It says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. He's saying it's still not about your heart. It's about being, being someone who is following and chasing after God. It's a, it's a sign of, of what our heart is motivating us to look like. Yes, it is a team jersey for, it was a team jersey for the children of Abraham to wear to say, look, this is a sign that we are in the covenant of God. We're following after God, but he's saying ultimately what's coming out of your heart is what really makes the difference. What, what you're saying, are you obeying my commands? Are you living a life? Just because I go, just because I've been baptized doesn't mean that my, I'm now obeying all the commands of God. The baptism isn't what changed me. It's a sign of a declar- it's a declaration of what God has begun doing in my life. But it's God changing and shaping my heart that would even draw me to be baptized in the first place. We've had lots of different conversations throughout our life as a church here about, uh, with, with people who, who had been saved but not been baptized or people who had gotten baptized but realized they weren't actually saved but they were getting baptized for the wrong reason. They thought that was some sort of way to get in, some sort of way to be saved. And we've had all these different kinds of conversations throughout the year. And ultimately it comes back down to once God has a hold of your heart, once He's changing your motivations, once He's changing what it is that you've been called to, you get this, this, this insatiable desire to go find some water and show people that you believe who He is. Because God has affected your heart in that way. And that outward expression, that declaration, that putting on of the team jersey is not, is not meant as a way of saving yourself or as of cleaning yourself or making yourself sinless, but rather it's a saying, my heart is being changed by the power of an almighty God who is powerful enough to make these changes within me. So what is the point of circumcision? What, what are we supposed to do with things like circumcision or baptism even today? 
Um, and you can turn over to Galatians chapter 6. This is the last one we're going to read. Um, Galatians really is a great example. This whole book is a book of, of Paul kind of working through what we do with the law and what we should do, you know, as, we, as, we, as, he's, as he's, he's revealing it to us. These are the things that, that God actually requires, and we've kind of missed the point on, on some of the ways that we've applied these sorts of things. So, so in his final closing... I love the way he writes this. I'm going to start in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 6. He wants to make sure that the people see this. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, just, just to point out, this is, this is the all caps version of the text. Right? This is what this, Paul is saying. I want to make sure you don't miss what follows. See how, with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make good, showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not circumcise themselves, but... Hmm, can't read, sorry. For those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me that, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. There's a lot in there that Paul is trying to say. He's saying circumcision has basically become the, the church census of the day. He's saying people are wanting to boast about how many people they've circumcised, just like a church today might be tempted to boast about how many people they've baptized or how many people have joined or how many, how many people have walked an aisle and declared faith in Christ. And they want to quantify these things in some sort of way, but they've missed the point, right? He's saying, he's saying the point is not that we would be circumcising so many people so that we can boast in the number of people that we've circumcised. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like a thing that I would ever want to boast about. Let me tell you how many people I have circumcised. That's not a conversation that I really feel like having. But, but we still, like I said, we, the, the church is always like, let's, let's track our baptism, let's track our attendance, let's track these things. And, and I think it's worth knowing who has been baptized in our church. And I think it's worth knowing who all is coming to our church so that we can, we can you know, disciple them and, and be there and kind of guide them through life and all of these sorts of things. But... But the point that Paul was trying to make is it's not about tally marks on a board so that you can feel good about yourself. It's about, it's about God and the glory goes to him because whether or not they're circumcised, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's the ultimate point of this whole thing. Right? That, that whole sign, even from when, when God gave Abraham this sign. I want you to circumcise your family. It's so that he's saying, circumcise so that you can know that they are growing up in the faith, in the belief that I'm going to accomplish something, but the, what he's going to accomplish was always going to be what was accomplished because of Jesus. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make. Don't lose sight only taking attendance or only trying to say, look, we've done this thing that makes us feel like they're more like us now. We've made, them, we've made them dress the same. We've made them wear the same team jersey. Everybody wears the same colors now. 
Everybody parts their hair the same way and slicks it back so that they look like a lawyer, right? Everybody, every, we're made to all kind of look like, like, like church-attending robots. That's, he's saying it's not about that. He's saying it's not about what you look like. It's not, about, it's not about any action you've taken. It's about what Christ has done. It's about what Christ has done specifically so that you could have your heart changed and you could be blameless. You could walk closely with Him. And yes, when we're saved, when we're given a new heart, we're going to put on a team jersey. But we're not putting on a team jersey in a sense. We're we're, going to get baptized and we're going to say, look, I'm declaring my belief in Jesus and I'm declaring that Jesus has saved me and that He's the only way that I could be saved. Right? That's, That's what we're doing with baptism. We're, our, the way that we talk is going to change. The things that we say, the kinds of conversations, the way that, the way that we feel about others, the way that we treat others, the way that we speak to others is, is no doubt going to be affected because of our new heart that Christ has given us. We're, we're going to celebrate something. We're going to boast in something. But what we don't boast in, we don't boast in, I got baptized. We boast in, Jesus did all of these amazing things so that I could be in his family, adopted as a son or a daughter of God. And that is what we boast in. That is what saves us. It's him. It's not us. It's never been us. It will never be us. So, so when we see this, don't think of this as this is that thing that they had to do to please God. This was that act of obedience that just demonstrated what God was already doing within them. The same thing that he has done within many of us and I hope and pray that he does in the rest of us here who he may not have yet saved. So let's pray.